Hey folks, this is Kevin, and I want to share with you, one of our Patreon patrons named Satu sent me a note saying, Hi Kevin, I wanted to let you know that I upped my Patreon membership from 5 euros to 10 euros per month. My finances are tight, but the podcast means so much to me. She goes on to say, I'd like to make a shout out to all the listeners that feel like they can do so little that it doesn't count, but it really does. We can keep risk going, says Satu, if we want to, and we do. That's why the continuous support is so important. Satu says, I challenge you to chip in with what you can. If you wouldn't think twice about buying a latte, Perhaps you can up your membership with $5 or 5 euros. Let's do this. (laughs) She says, thank you so much, Kevin. And I say, thank you so much. Satu, that was wonderfully said. And I should also thank Richard Weinstein and Ivy Alley for their donations at patreon.com slash risk this week. We truly do need it right now. And we deeply appreciate it. Now then, on this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Jonathan Bradley Welch. I was living. I was cracking myself up. I couldn't swallow at one point, and I was just like snorting, laughing, not swallowing, kind of having a panic attack, but like really just enjoying the moment. That and more. But first, the next two Risk live shows in L.A. are at the Lyric Hyperion on August 15th and September 19th. We've got great casts, great stories, and David Crabb is a great host out there. So come on out. Tickets are always at risk-show.com slash live. We'll be right back. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great 
Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now here's the show. Folks, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Kate Tronada behind me now, or something like that. And we're calling this week's episode Confessions, one of the uber themes of the entire series. Really, I was pretty shocked. We never used that title before. And I'll tell you something we've never done before, but we are so excited to be doing for the first time on August 19th, the brand new facilitated social event we created called What's Your Story? Debuts at Caveat on August 19th at 1 p.m. Tickets are at risk-show.com slash live. I'll be hosting, you'll be meeting new people, I'll be guiding people with lots of story prompts, lots to choose from. You'll have opportunities to share in pairs, in small groups, or even with the whole group if you like. You'll learn a few things about storytelling. You'll learn great questions to ask people to get stories out of them. You'll get to socialize with me and go beyond small talk with lots of new people you're meeting. It's What's Your Story? On August 19th at Caveat at 1 p.m., tickets are at risk-show.com slash live. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Lindsay Lang Abramowitz, who has the illustrious distinction of being permanently banned from Elon Musk's Twitter for writing a pro-choice article for the Huffington Post. But before that, here's Jonathan Bradley Welch, who is the Vice President of Communications for the Stonewall Democrats, working on getting more LGBTQ Dems elected throughout the whole country. And here he is at the Risk Live show in LA with a story we call Good Interference. So I'm going to get us started, and you know, I, 
I am about to celebrate my 10th anniversary in LA. Like, I have lived here for 10 years. And I once, I met a woman, like, when I first moved here, and it was terrible when I first moved here. Uh, I was crying all the time. And, well, I mean, everybody does. So it's like, kind of normal, like, it's so, like, you just see people crying on the sidewalk here. And you're just like, oh, it's a Tuesday, you know? Um, and I was, I would cry all the time. And I, I met this woman who called herself the ukulele, because um, she played a ukulele and that was like her thing. And she was like, it takes 10 years for you to like actually get it here. And I was like, I don't think I'm gonna live that long, but <laughs> I have, uh, almost. I'm almost there. And the whole like time in LA, it really was like, set out long before that, because I was in a relationship when I was in my 20s. And I was in one of those nauseating relationships, like we were like one step short of a joint Facebook account, you know, like, like it's just too much and everybody would be like, are you either brothers or are you together? And it was like, we're not brothers, but we just like are twinks who look alike, um, which is basis for a good gay relationship. And we were together for a while, and we were like to the point of discussing possibly getting married, um, to the point where we were looking at places where we would do that. We hadn't gotten engaged or anything like that. Um, I was about to ask him, and he was just like, I think I'm gonna break up with you and move back home. <laughs> Bye. You know, and I was like, oh. Uh, that's devastating, and somehow there's like a record scratch in my brain, and I was like, well, you know, I grew up watching a lot of Mary Tyler Moore, so I was like, well, if I'm getting dumped before getting married, then I, I'm gonna move to a new city. <laughs> I'm gonna change everything about myself. And so I moved to New York City, and I had this very specific plan in mind. I was like, I'm gonna move to New York City for two to five years, and then Los Angeles, and then I'm gonna win an Emmy, and everything has kind of followed that, that plan, like except for the Emmy, because that's like a bigger mountain to climb than just like, I'm gonna move. Um, so I have been, so in, in that whole experience like of getting ready to move here and living in New York, I thought of New York as like a transitionary period where I would just like, change my personality a little bit and just like say yes to everything. Like if I was too buttoned up or if I was too rigid or if things didn't work out in my old life, I was just going to, you know, live in New York and just say yes. Like, do I want to be in an off, off Broadway show that's like really questionable? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Do I want to go to a leather bar and like at 2 a.m. leave the leather bar and eat whatever sausage is being cooked outside the leather bar in the street? and then get on the subway and like just crapshoot whether I make it home or not like before that hits me? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, and in that spirit of saying yes, I got the news when I was about a year into my New York adventure that my ex-boyfriend, I'm gonna call him Richard, that's not his name, um, Obviously, so, you know, I don't want to tell it and have somebody be like, I know him. I'm going to tell him that you said this story. Uh, Richard was moving to New York. Thank you. <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> I think that's, I, I think I did vomit. I appreciate that. Uh, he was moving to New York. He wasn't just moving to New York City. He was moving to my neighborhood of Astoria, Queens. And if you know Astoria, it's not that big. 
You know, if you share the same subway station, you're going to share the same supermarket, same coffee shop, the same gym. Like, you're going to see each other. So I, in the spirit of yes, I just reached out to him and said, you know, let's have, let's have a drink. Let me welcome you to the neighborhood. And let's bury that hatchet, possibly in your body, but let's bury the hatchet. <laughs> and he said yes. And then like what happened after that was just like this reconnection and then this like War of the Roses, Sam and Diane, will they, won't they, and if they do, we're all gonna die, like dynamic <laughs> between us. And I was definitely harboring feelings for him. Like this was the only man I really loved ever in my life. And, you know, and I, I really still felt something for him. So I decided I was gonna move to Los Angeles and I did it in a big dramatic fashion. I announced it to everybody. And I was like, in three months, I'm moving to Los Angeles, and, and I just expected everybody to be like, no, but people were like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> and Richard and I, like, we were still talking all the time. Like, we were like 14-year-old, like, kids in love, like, on the phone, and just like, no, you hang up, you know? Like, we just <laughs> kept talking about that, but we never did anything. I never kissed him, he never kissed me, we never touched each other, we just like spent a lot of time together. It was very lesbianic of us and I like really felt this super connection with him and it was building up and it was like I really do have feelings and I don't know how to express it or if I ever will express those feelings. Um, but I know I'm leaving. I know I'm going to California. I know I'm going to start this new life. I'm going to win an Emmy and then maybe he'll come out there and visit me. Maybe something will happen, I don't know. But the time is not now. So I was getting ready to go, and I don't know if, how many of you guys have ever lived in New York? We've got a, quite a few, okay. So like you, you may know, like there's this like, there are waves of exodus that happen. Like, you know, you're, you're like, I'm gonna move, and then 20 of your friends are like, I am too. Like, I've had it. The city smells like shit, and I just stepped in a mystery puddle for the fourth time today. Like, I need to leave. I'm going to go to L.A. And my friend John Flynn was moving to L.A. right around the same time I was moving to L.A. And I use his full name because he's been on the show. <laughs> and John Flynn is known for baking weed treats. <laughs> like, he wrote a book about it. It's called Baked. You should pick it up. It's really good. He's, he's really good at it. And he is having his going away party, and it was about a month before I was moving. And he was walking around, and he was like, would you like a cookie? And of course, I was like, spirit of saying, yes, 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 I'd like a cookie. So then I had the cookie, and it's good. Like, you can't tell there's weed in it, and it was really, really tasty. Ate the cookie. Like, three minutes later, he's like, you know, around the party, and he comes back, and he's like, did you, did you eat that whole cookie? And I was like, yeah, I had the whole cookie. And he was just like, let me know if you need anything. And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to pass away. <laughs> and I need to leave immediately. So I left the party and walked to the subway. And as I was like walking down the subway stairs, it all just like happened. And I got on the magic carpet ride that was the A train. <laughs> and I was like, I was on that train for seven and a half hours. <laughs> from, you know, like 24th Street to like 160th where I lived. Like it was just like, and it's an express. So I really wasn't there for that long, but I was living. I was cracking myself up. I couldn't swallow at one point, And I was just like snorting, laughing, not swallowing, 
kind of having a panic attack, but like really just enjoying the moment. And like to the point where people were not sitting near me if given the choice, because I was really loud and laughing. And I, at one point I took out my, my notebook and I started to write and I was like, oh my God, I, I'm writing my half hour comedy special. I'm writing, like I'm brilliant right now, I'm on fire. And I was just like killing myself, like just going to, and I was like, this is so fucking good. Wow, it was just the ideas, the ideas, the ideas. And I got off the subway and I was like, I need, I'm, I'm very high on a substance, I need to call somebody. <laughs> I need to call Richard. Because I'm feeling it. And, and like, you know, weed is a roller coaster. You're, you're, you're like, ooh, this is so funny. Oh my God, I'm a burden to everyone. Like, it's just like, it goes up and down. And I was definitely just like, I feel this for you. We're supposed to be together. And, and I need to tell you this. And like, into a voicemail. Like, I need to tell you everything I feel. I love you so much. Never stop loving you. I think that you need to come to California with me. I'm not going to be able to live with that. Like, let's just fuck, like, cut the bullshit and let's get together and let's get married. Let's go to City Hall. Let's do it. And I left a long voicemail. And I went home and went to bed. And as I was, like, in bed, I, like, laid down and I, like, shivered. And then I, like, sat up and just started laughing hysterically. And I was like, I'm fine. And then I laid back down and I shivered again. <laughs> And I did that for about an hour, and uh, like just rinse and repeat, and then went to bed. And the next day, I, I woke up, and I was like, oh, um, I think I've made a mistake. <laughs> I think that I left my ex-boyfriend a voicemail, and we're supposed to go to dinner tonight, you know, the, the next night after my weed adventure. Um, you know, we're supposed to go to dinner and say goodbye. And I left him this voicemail. That's a lot, you know? Uh, so I called him and I was like, hey, you know, still on for dinner, right? And he was like, yeah. And I said, okay, great. So I, I think I left you a voicemail last night. I think I may have said some stuff that was a little deep within my, the recesses of my brain. And I just like, I want to clear that with you. He's like, oh yeah, no, I, listen, I got your voicemail. And I was like, okay, and? And he's like, yeah, your voicemail was just, hi, um. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> that was the whole voicemail. <laughs> and, you know, that was, I, I think maybe I hit my cheek. Maybe I'd never said anything. And I just sat there, and that was it. And that was, the, that was, that was all he got. And I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God the moment is saved. And then I was like, but you know what? I have a half hour special. And, and I know something good came out of this experience. So I go in my bag and I pull out my notebook and I open it up. And I read it. And I wrote, Lou Gehrig's disease. How awful. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and I drew a picture of a woman's face from the Victorian era looking off to the side. And that's it. And that was my half hour special. 
Um, I knew that I needed to get myself away from myself and from that situation, from New York and, and that whole life and from Richard. And, and, and certainly I needed to like refine my comedy writing skills. <laughs> like I didn't have what I thought I had. Uh, and I needed to learn how to do weed. Like I, there's so much for me to learn and I definitely could not be with, like jump into telling this person I was in love with them. So we had dinner and I never told him that. And we were on the subway after and he kissed me and he said, I miss you already and LA has no idea what it's getting. And I was like, you must have read the comedy special. Um, <laughs> and I never saw him again and that's okay because uh, I wouldn't be here, I guess, right? With all of you fine people, I'm really happy to be here. And this is like the place I belong. So it all works out in the end, everybody, and men are pigs. They say it takes 10 years to stop crying on a Tuesday. They say it takes 10 years to get okay with LA. From New York to California, there's only one way to create a persona. Yes, to fucking your ex, to borderline musicals and leather bar snacks. Say yes, to love without sex, to teenage phone calls holding you back. They say it's easy to feel stuck when you confuse security for love. They say, listen to your gut when you know you should leave. New York City got a half hour special inside. You gotta let it out if you wanna stay alive. Say yes to calling your ex when you're high on a cookie that was meant for ten friends. Say yes to calling your ex and leaving a voicemail proposing marriage. Kiss me and say it's okay. Half hour comedy specials on its way. ALS, ALS, say yes. Say yes. To Jonathan Bradley, well. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're back. So it's September 2008, about 15 years ago. And I pack my bags and I move to the dark and rainy city of Grand Foray, France. So I'm, I'm moving to Grand Foray with my boyfriend, Olivier, uh, to teach English at a local elementary school. And Olivier, he's, he's from France, but he's not from Grand Foray, and we know pretty much nobody where we're moving. So I happened to move uh, to Grand Foray right before the holiday of Yom Kippur. And so as someone who is mildly Jewish, I kind of, on a whim, I decide I'm going to go to services. So I, I look up the synagogue, I throw on a skirt, and I head down the street to the local synagogue. And as I'm walking up, it's this, it's this like beautiful 1800s building um, with this huge wooden door. And as I, I'm opening like this giant wooden door, and I step in, and I look around, and it's, it's like my my people, the Jewish people on the holiest day of the year and in this beautiful old building and I look around and I think to myself, fuck. <laughs> this is not what I had bargained for. Um, there are men everywhere just wrapped in these like fringed prayer shawls and and I'm directed to the, to the women's section, which is um, off to the side. And I look around and I, I'm not sure what to do. And as, as I'm trying to like maybe plan my exit, this man with this long white beard and he's wearing this button-down white shirt and black pants, he walks over and he hands me this prayer book. And I, I kind of just see the doors closing behind me. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what to do because it, it, it seems rude at that point to just walk out. So I, I take the prayer book and I walk over to the women's section. And I sit down and I look down at the prayer book in my hand and it's all in Hebrew. And I try to like flip through the pages to kind of try to figure out where we are, but also make it look like I know where we are without knowing where we are. And oh God, and the, I, I peek out like the curtain to the men's section and they're just, these men just like swaying in prayer. And I, I look like around me in the women's section and it's just full of these women with these long skirts and long sleeves and most of them have hats or, or like something I think it's a wig and as I'm, I'm looking around I kind of I try to like button up my shirt a little bit like discreetly and this is I mean the synagogue I grew up in I'm pretty sure my rabbi like ate ham sandwiches so this is this is like new territory for me and and I'm looking around and as, as I'm looking out at everybody I sort of start to get the feeling that everyone's also looking me because word has spread that there is a, a new human being in town. There's a foreigner, an American, and a Jew. And that's a pretty big deal in Grand Foray. So uh, after services are over, everyone from the synagogue, all the Jews of Grand Foray, all like 40 of them, like swarm around me and they ask me their questions. Like, Vous venez d'où? Vous venez d'où? Which is, where are you from? I'm New Jersey. 
And uh, vous habitez où au Grand Forêt? Where do you live? Combien de temps que vous êtes ici? How long have you been here? How long are you here? And quel est votre nom de famille? What's what's your last name? Now this is this is the Jewy last name test, and my last name is Abramowitz. So I I passed that test with flying colors, and and then they asked me, um, vous habitez où au Grand Forêt? Where are you living in this town? And and the big question that everyone wants to know is, pourquoi vous êtes ici au Grand Forêt? Which is why are you here in Grand Forêt? Like, what what are you doing here? Um, no one could seem to really understand how I ended up in this tiny little city. As I, I looked around at, like, all these people who were so excited to have me there, I didn't have the nerve to tell them that I was there because I was living with a man, uh, not... Jewish man, and a not Jewish man before marriage. So I I look around and I, I kind of just smile and I tell them that I'm I'm there to teach English at Ecole Jean Jaurès, which was true, but it wasn't the whole truth. So after they're done with all their questions, they all fight over who gets to have me over at their house for dinner. Elle vient chez moi, de chez vous, chez moi. Elle vient avec nous, non, avec moi. And in the middle of this, this woman marches over and she says, excusez-moi. And the chatter just stops. And she says, I believe our visitor will be coming to our house tonight. And she kind of just smiles at everyone and everyone trying to parts ways and she takes me by the elbow and not knowing what else to do, I, I follow her towards the door. And we leave and we're, we're walking down this cobblestone streets of the old town of Grand Forêt. And this woman, Isabel, she tells me that she's originally from Morocco, that she um, is married to this man whose family has been in Grand Forêt for generations. She's about in her 40s and she's wearing this really cute skirt that goes just below her knees and she has this beautifully coiffed like black hair with this cute little hat on top and this single strand of pearls and everything about Isabel is just like understated and perfect. So we get to Isabel's house and it's this beautiful house in the middle of town and we go inside into her dining room with these soaring windows, which are framed by like intricate molding. And in the middle of the room, there's this huge mahogany table and Isabel sitting at one end of the table and her husband is sitting at the other and her four kids are around the table and the boys all have their kippahs and the girls are all in their skirts. And her two teenagers, they try to tell me jokes in their like high school English. and. I'm trying to like follow the conversation and it's in English and it's in French and we have this beautiful meal and it's all these French and Moroccan sweets for Yom Kippur, which is a fasting holiday. You don't eat um, Yom Kippur. So now the table is just covered with food from Morocco and from France. And Isabel pours me this cup of steaming mint tea. And before I know it, it's midnight. And I realize I need to go home. And so I, I walk home and our house is just a few blocks away from Isabel's, but I live in a studio apartment next to the train station. And so I get home and it had been about six hours since I had told Olivier that I would be back in two hours. So I'm, I'm home late, Olivier is sleeping. I kind of try to quietly brush my teeth and I like slip into bed next to him. 
the next morning we wake up and I tell him about this this night that I had at the synagogue and and then going back to this house and and I'm so proud of myself because everyone was speaking French and then we had this incredible night and I, I tell him that about trying to like button my shirt and he laughs and it's funny and and I also tell him that like I really want to go back I, I want to go back to that synagogue I also I don't say it but that first week in Grand Forêt had been really hard. We didn't know anyone there. It was lonely. We were living in this little studio apartment and and I stumbled across all these people who were so excited to have me there when I was really far away from home. So I know I know I want to go back. But I also know that if I'm going to pass for someone committed to their faith beyond like I don't know Seinfeld episodes and bagels, I I had some work to do. So in need of religious guidance, I turned to YouTube. And it turns out that the, the YouTube is, it's more than just cat videos and makeup tutorials. It's full of people who want to teach you how to be religious. And I'm just interested in learning how to pretend to be religious. Uh, but that's close enough. And so I study those prayers on YouTube. Like I'm studying for the bar exam. It's it's intense. Uh, the, the prayer over bread, I learned. The prayer over hand washing. The prayer over wine. The Amidah, the Mishiberek, the Chatzikadosh. Check, check, and check. I learned all of my prayers and I am ready. So the next week, I go back for Shabbat services. After services, Claude, he's the, the guy with the long white beard who had handed me the prayer book that first time at synagogue. He invites me back to his house with his wife, Justine. And Claude is an English teacher, it turns out, and he is so excited to practice every single English phrase he knows. This is, and his wife is pouring this warm soup into my bowl, and he's saying, what's up, Lindsay? Weather is nice today, yeah? And we have such a nice meal. And the next few days after that, it's a holiday called Sukkot. So for Sukkot, the main thing is you you build this giant outdoor hut. And so I, I come together with everyone at the synagogue and we're building this hut. And when the hut's done, um, one of the young people, Samuel, he asks if I want to go for a walk with a group of them around this old lake that's in town. And it's a beautiful fall afternoon and there's nothing that sounds like more fun than going on a walk around the lake with these people that I just met. And and I know that Olivier would be also really excited on this beautiful day to go for a walk around the lake, but I don't have the nerve to ask them if he can come too. I know it's already getting late, so I, I make up some excuse. I tell them that I need to do lesson plans, and I and I go home. I go back to our apartment. But I, I keep going back to the synagogue every week after that for services. And before I know it, the people at the synagogue, they, they become my community. And so far away from home, it's, it's really nice to have that. And for four months, Everything is great. Justine, um, one of the women at the synagogue, she invites me over uh, and teaches me how to make challah. 
She yells at me to roll my, my rolls out thinner with less bumpy. Sandrine has me over to her house for couscous. And um, Samuel, one of the young people at the synagogue, he has me over to his house one Shabbat and his mom makes dafina, which is this Shabbat stew. Everyone at the synagogue, they give me this nickname, La Petite Américaine, the Little American. And everything is wonderful. A few months into my stay in Grand Forêt, it's just before the holiday of Hanukkah, and I'm going into the lobby of my apartment, and I run into Claude, who's the, the guy with the the white beard who I had met the first day and who had invited me to his house for Shabbat. And I see right away that just something is off. He seems flustered, like something's going on. And he tells me that he'd stopped by to um, drop a Hanukkah invitation off in my mailbox. And that seems normal enough. And he kind of makes an excuse how he has to run and he kind of leaves pretty quickly. Something about it just seems weird. And I can't put my finger on it. So I kind of shrug it off. I, I go over to my mailbox to open it up to take out, you know, the Hanukkah invitation and the rest of my mail. And when I go to open it up, I, I notice that on my mailbox there are two names. Lindsay Abramowitz, which is me, and Olivier Dujardin, who is my boyfriend. And I, like, I sort of just pause in front of the mailbox and, and I wonder, I'm like, did he... Did he notice the two names on my mailbox? Did he, like, put two and two together? Is that why he was acting so weird? Is that he realized that I was living with this person who I had never mentioned, even though I'd been coming to the synagogue for four months? I tell myself that I'm, I'm just being paranoid, that he probably was just in a rush, like, what, whatever, it's fine. And then a week later, it's Hanukkah. And I'm at the Hanukkah party and I'm eating like jelly donuts and like, of course, the young people are all practicing their English with me. And all of a sudden I see out of the corner of my eye, the rabbi just kind of marching in my direction. It's never a good sign when you see the rabbi like marching in your direction. And he comes over, he's holding this flyer and he puts the flyer out in front of me and it says Réunion Communitaire Le 29 décembre, 15h, le joie de ne pas toucher avant le mariage. It's a community meeting on December 19th at 3 p.m. with the topic, the joys of not touching before marriage. And he looks at me and he says, he says, Lindsay, we would love for you to attend. And I... I mean, he says it in French, so it's hard to know, but I swear the word you was really, I would love for you to attend. And I look down at that flyer and I, my mind is just racing. I'm like, what? And I can only imagine what happened. Um, I imagine that Claude went home and told his wife Justine and, and Justine tells Samuel and Samuel tells Sandrine and Sandrine tells everyone, including the rabbi, who is now personally inviting me to a meeting about abstinence. My face is like on fire. I just feel humiliated. And so the next day, I hear three sharp knocks on my door. And when I look through the people, I see Isabel. And I, I think to myself, shit, 
this is not good. First, the rabbi is inviting me to a meeting on abstinence. Now, Isabel is showing up at my door unannounced. And so I don't know what to do. So I kind of just like, I look down at my like skimpy tank top and I see my hair is a mess. And I, I'm like, what am I gonna do at this point? So I open the door and Isabel says to me, Lindsay, il faut absolument que tu prennes une tisane chez nous cet après-midi. She's inviting me for tea that afternoon. She tells me that I need to come right away, that she wants me to come with her now. And I try to make up an excuse that I'm marking papers, I'm in the middle of doing some things, and there's no stopping Isabel. Isabel does not take no for an answer. So next thing I know, I'm walking down the street with Isabel and my mind is racing. I'm like, okay, here comes my lecture about how not only am I a bad Jew, but I'm hiding it from them that I'm a bad Jew. And perfect Isabel with her perfect house and her perfect family and her perfect life is gonna tell me everything that I'm doing wrong. And so we get to her house and um, we're sitting in her parlor and Isabel pours me some mint tea and she leans in and she says, Lindsay, do you know the story of my Philippe? Philippe is her oldest son. And then she goes on, she says, um, he was born just seven months after I married my husband. He was two months premature and weighed eight pounds. And then she she looks me in the eye for a really long time, like kind of like, do you, do you get what I'm saying? And I'm not sure I do. I feel like I, maybe I missed something in French or like, I, there's no way, there's no way that perfect Isabel is telling me that she shacked up with her husband before she got married. But then she, she kind of winks and she says, it was a miracle. And she kind of shrugs. She does one of those like French shrugs that are like French people are really good at that mean I don't give a shit. And she tells me that the people of Grand Forêt, they talked and that's what people in small communities do, but you know what? She didn't care. After that afternoon with Isabel, something funny started happening. All those like really religious Jews I had met in Grand Foray, it turns out that many of them really were religious, but not all of them. Sandrine, I found out that she eats seafood. And Samuel, he sleeps with dozens of women. And Justine, she drinks beer on Passover. Yeah, it's crazy. So once all the, the Jews of Grand Foray knew my secret, they started coming to me with theirs. And it, it turns out that the Jews of Grand Foray and I, we've kind of been like in this wild game of chicken. They wanted to impress me and I wanted to impress them and we were all pretending to be these God-fearing Jews, and, and a lot of them were God-fearing Jews, but some of us were actually heathens. And the religious Jews, they kept inviting me to their house for dinner. So after that, I started bringing Olivier to events with my friends from the synagogue, because having a community who fights over who gets to have you over for Shabbat dinner is really great. But having a community who knows exactly who you are and still fights over getting to have you over for dinner is even better.
časnuju i pažalje. Noć pribušajeca, fanarka čajeca, fanarka čajeca v načnuju mglu. A ja ni časnaja, targovka časnaja, staju i publički zdje spradaju. Kjec moj pjanica, zar jumku tjanica, a macu poršica, kako je pazor. Si stragul jajeca, tvar nastajašaja, a vrati malinki karmani vod. This is risk. <laughs> This is Golem behind me now. And we just heard from Lindsay Lang Abramowitz, who you can find at lindsaylangabramowitz.com. And her story was edited by our own John LaSala. Before that, Alec Gross with a song called Say Yes, a song all about Jonathan Bradley Welch's story. Alec used to send us customized little songs to play uh, back in 2010 or so. And he recently reached out to ask if we're still into that sort of thing. Well, we certainly are. We love when musicians make original music for the show or do covers of the Risk theme song or make sound collages as interstitials. Go to risk-show.com slash submissions slash music to learn more. And before that, Jonathan Bradley Welch, who is at Jonathan B. Welch on Instagram, and his story was edited by our own Hope Rush. Now, we have something super special on Patreon this week. I, I know I say that all the time, but this story is unique. Darius Garns comes from a family that included one of the legends of rock and roll history, and she shared her story about it in the most charming way in this conversation with our story coaches, Cindy Freeman and Brad Lawrence, and our editor, John LaSala. And Jeff Barr edited it together and added the music. My uncle told me, uh, Jimmy Merchant said to him, do you sing? And my uncle, who was a great basketball player, said, do you play basketball? In his really deep voice. And it was a match made in heaven from then on. You will find that and so much more at patreon.com slash risk. And I want to thank Corinne Wilschke, Jeff Grell, and Aaron Swain for their donations over there this week. Remember, if you want to make a one-time donation, you can do that at paypal.me slash risk show. And if you have an idea for a good or a service for goods or services, it sounded weird to say a good, that you'd like to auction off to the risk community on behalf of risk. Like for example, a voice coach just donated voice lessons, a therapist donated therapy sessions, Artists and craftspeople have donated paintings, customized leather kink gear, pickled beets, an interior design consultation for your house, customized recorded songs. This is going to be one heck of an auction. And if you have ideas of your own or suggestions of things I myself could offer in the auction, Just write to me at kevin at risk-show.com. We'll be right back. We're back. 
That's about it, folks. Please keep those donations coming. And we've been loving these messages people have been sending along with their donations. Like this fella Sagan who wrote, Risk means the most to me of literally any podcast. I've legit had my life and brain changed by multiple different stories. And I look forward to continuing to do so for many years to come. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Sagan. We're right there with you. And folks, today's the day. Take a risk. So uh, after services are over, everyone from the synagogue, all the Jews of Grand Foray, all like 40 of them, like swarm around me and they ask me their questions. Like, elle vient chez moi ce soir pour dîner chez vous? No, chez I feel like I'm like, I feel like that was um, like Beauty and the Beast-esque. Sorry.